God and his providence has been preparing us for his word this morning. He's prepared us in our singing. He prepared us with the passages that was read and everything was leading up to what we will study here this morning in the book of Ruth. So keep in your mind the reading of the scripture. Keep in your mind the singing of the songs here this morning as we study God's word here in Ruth. Ruth chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 will be our focus this morning. We're starting a a series here in this wonderful short book of the Old Testament. This book is only about four chapters. Uh, I think it's around 85 verses. Uh, So as we uh, even this morning start our study, when you get home, go and read the whole book and let it be in your mind Uh, this week as you carry out God's will. Because this is God's word. Even though it is a story about an ordinary family, one family, and God's work in their ordinary lives, this is God's word. Their lives, their names, their actions, all has to do with God's truth to us. It's not something we want to briefly read over and minimize. This is God's word. Pay attention. Everything that God gives us here, whether by implication, it has has truth for us to glean. And so let us us look at uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And we'll be this is an introduction to the book. Verses one through five introduces us. It sets the plot for what is going to take place in the rest of the book. So this morning we'll start with the background of the book. Some some of the background will give some significance of this book. And as far as the passage that we'll be looking at, uh, we we. It's dark days. This this is the primary point that this is a uh, this is a difficult time for this family. Uh, th- these are dark days for them, and they will encounter two things: famine and death. Famine and death. So look at uh, this this passage as I read it, and remember, this is God's word. This is God's word to us. In the days when the judges ruled, there, were a fa- there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons, were Mahalan and Chilon. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judea. 
they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. But Maholan and Talon died so that the women was left without her two sons and her husband. These are dark days for this family. The scripture does not identify who the human author of this book, this short book is. Uh, we, uh, we don't know, so we won't speculate about who the human author is, but we know who the ultimate author is. God is. This is God's word. This book was probably written uh, during the reign of David or sometimes later since his genealogy is listed in, in chapter 4, verses 17 through 22. The book of Ruth is a true story of two women, Naomi and Ruth. These two women find themselves in a desperate, and a hopeless situation. And they are brought back into a place of hope uh, by the kindness of an honorable man, Boaz, a kinsman redeemer who restores their fortune. The significance of this book is that Ruth and Naomi were women. They had neither power nor position, and they will ultimately become widows. One is a foreigner, a Moabite, a pagan, and, and we will see God working behind the scenes and that he will use the events, the events of the, their ordinary lives, the suffering, the tragedy, he will use it as an opportunity to demonstrate his grace. He, he will resolve their situation in a way we will never imagine. As we go, I know you already know the end of the story, but as we, we go through, just let your mind reside where we are in that moment. And look at it from their perspective. And even though we won't see God in the forefront, God is at work. God, God is at work behind the scenes in the lives of this, this family. And so God will use their suffering and the tragedy. And this is, this is good for us to know that that God works in, in difficult times, in times in which we don't see him, in, in times in which there, there, there's suffering that, that comes in our lives, and we don't understand why it's happening. But God is there at work. We're to, we're to trust him, and, and, and we'll see that. We'll see him at work 
demonstrating his grace. He, he, will, he will choose a, a pagan, Ruth, a, a Moabitess, who was not born among the people of God. He, he will choose her and, and he will use her uh, to give Naomi a son in a sense that fulfills his promise of bringing the Savior into the world. This word uh, is for us. And, and one of the main words that is used, particularly later on in the book, is the word redemption or redeem or redeemer. This word occurs 20 times in these four chapters. And this story anticipates the kinsman redeemer. This is what this is what it all is leading up to. God is leading up to uh, uh, the uh, providing of the, the 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 bloodline in which the the redeemer would would come into the world. The kinsman redeemer, uh, Boaz, and 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 this we'll see later on. Boaz. Is the kinsman redeemer who will, re, in a sense, restore uh, Naomi, and he will be a blessing to Ruth and and Boaz's willingness and his ability, his willingness and his ability. Bo, Boaz is going to have to give up something in order to be a blessing to Naomi and Ruth. Boaz is going to have to give up everything. Just like Christ gave up everything in order that we may be blessed. Boaz's willingness and ability to restore Ruth and Naomi is a picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who willingly and had, has the ability to redeem us from sin to life. As this is what makes the book significant. Another reason why this book is important is that it teaches us that God saves people from every nation. He, he saves people from every nation. Through Jesus Christ, he saves all that he has chosen out of every nation, tribe, and tongue. The book of Ruth will teach us that. And the book of Ruth will teach us that God is faithful even when things seem hopeless that he is working everything for our good and for his glory. This is the importance of this little book. So let us get to our, our passage and because we, we're going to be introduced even more to uh, this, this story uh, that is going to take place in this book. Look at verse 1. Uh, again, these are dark days for this family. And we'll see famine, that they will experience famine in verses one and two. Look at verse number one, where it says, in the days when the judges ruled, rule, this, this, this book begins by giving us the historical context surrounding what is going to take place in this book, the events of Ruth take place in the days of the judges or during the period period of the judges before the time 
in which Israel had a king. And this was the, this time of the judges was a time of rampant apostasy, of disobedience, of wickedness. And, and Judges chapter 2, matter of fact, just turn back because it's one book back. I mean, yeah, one book back. Judges chapter 2 verse 17 will tell us something about this period. God would raise up judges. Uh, the people would be in a predicament and God would raise up a judge and uh, the people would be restored. They would repent. They would be restored and they would sin. And this pattern would continue throughout Judges. In Judges chapter 2, verse 17, we see uh, what the people would like, the people of Israel would like during this time. Verse 17 says, uh, verse, I started verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Look further in chapter 17 of Judges, verse 6, Judges 17, verse 6, it says, in those days, there were there was no king in Israel. Notice, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this is repeated in the last chapter of the book, Judges 21. Judges 21 and 25, the last verse of this book, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And no doubt this, this has an impact upon what we will read here in Ruth. Everyone is doing what was right in their own eyes. Listen to John uh, Curate as he Noted, he noted that this time was dominated by relativism. He says this, quote, he says, first, God's covenant law is no longer the standard. Remember what Solomon told his son in Proverbs that he, if he obeyed, he will find success. He will prosper. But the people during this time. Uh, they they did not obey or keep the their part of the covenant. The covenant law, he uh, John Curie says, is no longer the standard. Rather, the people are doing what is best in their own eyes. And that's the first thing he says. Secondly, he says the unity intended among Israel as God's covenant people 
has broken down into individualism. People are simply trusting in themselves, end quote. It's a time of relativism. I do what is right in my own eyes. I do what is right according to my own thinking. And it's all about me. It's not about the people of God. It's about me. And this, this, the writer goes on. He says, giving us the background in the days when the judges ruled, during this period, back in Ruth, it says there was a famine in the land. Now, we are not given in Ruth why this famine has come about. But we can, as if we study God's word, if we go back in God's word to Deuteronomy, which we'll do here in a few minutes, the famine was probably God acting in judgment on a sinful people. The people are sinning. They're going after idols. They're not keeping their part of the covenant. And we'll see that God promised, said, if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. And now it is, there's a famine. God had led his people, Israel, into the promised land and they were under a covenant with him and 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 we'll see that turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11 Deuteronomy chapter 11 the the people this 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 book would have been read every year at Pentecost and the people who who would have read this book would have known the background that we are going into here. They would have known that as they were reading through this book. They, they would have known uh, what Deuteronomy says about the promise of blessing and the promise of cursing if there was disobedience. And so we're going we're gonna to look at the background of the covenant relationship, God's covenant relationship with his people. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 16 and 17. Verses 16 and 17. And here we'll, we'll get some insight so that we can determine why it is that there is a famine. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 16 and 17 says this. <clears throat> After God has, uh, matter of fact, go back to verse number 13. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13. And notice it says, and if you will indeed obey my commandments, that I commanded you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock. You shall eat and be full. 
Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. What was happening in Judges? They turned aside to worship and serve other gods. Okay? And so in Deuteronomy, we see as part of the, the covenant that God made with his people, God said he will bless them, but he says, take care. Don't be, don't let your heart be deceived and be turned uh, aside and serve God, other gods and worship them. Turn to chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. Chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. And we'll look at a couple of verses, a few verses here. Deuteronomy chapter 28, we'll look at verses 1 and 2, and then we'll drop down to verse 12. <clears throat> verses 1 and 2, it says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, okay, we see obedience, and obedience is a sign of trust. If, and if you faithfully obey the voice of, of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then he goes into the blessings, the blessings of obedience. Uh, Look at verse number 12. It says, the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give you uh, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations. Notice that. Lend to many, not go to nations to get, but you will be in a position to lend to many nations. But you shall not borrow uh, look at verse number 15 and here's the curses that follow from verse 15 and beyond but look at verse 15 it said but if you will not obey the voice of the lord your god or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes then i command you today then all these uh, that I command you today, that it, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. <clears throat> In verse, matter of fact, turn to chapter 30. And again, it is repeated, chapter 30, verses 1 and 2. And it says, and when all these things come upon you, the blessings, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. So if they experience particularly the curses, if they repent, God says that he will restore their fortunes 
and have mercy on them, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord has scattered you. Look down at verse number nine. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. The last verses we'll look at is verses 19 and 20 of this chapter, where God, where it says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, no matter what is going on, obey his voice. Hold fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land, dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your father. This is the promised land to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give to them. Remember, the blessing that God promises to give to his people take place in the promised land. Not in Moab. All right, turn back, turn back to uh, back to Ruth, and 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 so we see that God, there's blessings, there are curses. If they obey, they're blessed. If they disobey, they're cursed. And one of the curses was the holding back of the rain. And even in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 13 and 14 in this passage says if the people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face God is God says that that he will uh he will restore them. If they repent, he will restore them. But look at our there's back in our past there's a famine, there was a famine in the land and a man. And, not everyone, it says, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah. Now, there's a famine in the land in Bethlehem in Judah. And, and there's a bit of irony here because Bethlehem means house of bread or house of food. Uh, and Judah, Bethlehem in Judah, there's more irony here is that it's the hometown of David, the greatest king of Israel. And it's also the birthplace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the book of Judges, there's no king. The, 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 the writer is, is setting us up. And, and again, the reader, the, the Israelite, the believing Israelite who read this, they would have understood this. Wait a minute. They know the, the meaning of the, the name, the town of Bethlehem, and they know Bethlehem and Judah, they know what is going to take place there. That is the birthplace of the, 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 the Messiah, the Savior, the King, the Lord Jesus. But, but notice it says, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Wait a minute. Now, we're introduced to a problem because where are the blessings for the people of Israel in the promised land? 
Here a man went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his sons. So we have a man of Bethlehem in Judah and his family who sojourned. They weren't, they didn't go to Jerusalem. This is a time of, of disobedience, of sin and of apostasy. They didn't go to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice. They didn't sojourn to Jerusalem. They sojourned to a pagan land. They didn't go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice and repentance of their sins. They left the promised land to go and live among pagan idolaters, away from God, away from the tabernacle, away from any possibility of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And and not only, not only did this man, we're not given his name yet, this man and his family, not only did they depart the land that God had given to them as his people, but even worse, they left the house of bread. They went away from the place of blessing and they looked to the world to satisfy their need. They looked to the land of Moab, the people of Moab. This family took up residence among the pagan Moabites, the very people who enslaved Israel in the early chapters of the book of Judges. The, the author is building the suspense the Moabites were pagans. The Moabites were descendants of Lot by an incestuous relationship with his daughter. And these were, the, the, the Moabites was Israel's enemies. They were the primary enemies of Israel. They were known for their wickedness and their idolatry. And, and somehow, uh, this family believed that life would be better for them in Moab, where they would have no rights, no privileges, like they had in Judah. And notice that it says that they went to sojourn. It's called, a, their journey is called, it, it's, it's said that they sojourned first because perhaps they tended only to be there temporarily. But at the end of verse two, notice what it says. They remained there. They started out wanting to be there only temporarily, but they ended up remaining there. And to build up the drama, now the author gives us everyone's names. Look at verse two. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name Elimelech means, listen, the name means God is my king. That's what his name means. But notice, notice the irony of what's going on in the text. A man named Elimelech, a man whose name means God is my king, flees Bethlehem, the house of bread. 
He's doing what is right in his own eyes by leaving Israel and becoming a resident alien in Moab. He's not living up to his name. And the name of his wife is Naomi. Naomi means pleasant one. And this will come to play later on in the story. And the names of his two sons was Mahalan and uh, Chalon. Mahalan means weakly or sickly. And Chalon means pining one or, or puny. And this may mean that the boys struggle with bad health. And this may have been the reason that they left Bethlehem for Moab. But they should have trusted God. Uh, this was another reason they should have trusted God and stayed among the people of God so that they can find the assistance that they needed among God's people rather than going to Moab. And then the writer goes on. He says they were uh, Euphratites from Bethlehem in Judah. This is leading us somewhere. This is repeated. Uh, Bethlehem and Judah is repeated again because this is the the uh, uh, this is where First uh, Samuel, matter of fact, seventeen and twelve says this. It says now David was the son of a uh, Euphratite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. Okay, so uh, this is leading us to, to David. It's keeping David in, our, in, our, in the forefront of our minds. And so uh, the curate says here, he says, this book anticipates the kingship of David. But notice what the, the, the writer goes on. He said, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. Elimelech and his family left the only place that God has given to his people, the place where he promised to bless them and provide for them. They didn't seem to trust God, uh, God's faithfulness and provision of the promise. God made a covenant promise to be faithful to his people in the promised land. And it appears that they didn't trust God. We we uh, we learned that there were other Israelites who survived the famine. Right, they're leaving because of the famine, because they think that they're going to die, possibly. But other Israelites survived. Look down at verse nineteen of chapter one. It says, talking about Naomi and Ruth. Naomi makes a decision to go back to Bethlehem. It says, so the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town <laughs> was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? So there were people that survived that didn't go to, to Moab. They survived the famine. God was faithful and provided. But for the people that remained there. And so they didn't have to leave. They didn't have to leave Bethlehem. And be, but because they did, things are going to get worse. So they went into the country of Moab and remained there. Now things are going to get worse. 
what is going to happen, what Elimelech tried to prevent from happening, it's, it's, it's going to happen to him and to his sons. Verse 3 and 5, we see death. We've just seen famine. Verses 3 through 5, we're going to see death. Death of a husband. Verse 3, but Elimelech, the husband, remember that, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. Elimelech died. And from verse 3 on, Naomi, it, she's a widow, and now she becomes the, the central character in the story. And we should be asking the question. It, it, this, this verse introduces us to something that should leave us asking the question. It says, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, he died. Now she's a widow. How will a widow survive in a foreign land? She's not in, she's not among God's people. She has two sons. I mean, there's some hope. Not, she, she has two sons. And, and the problem seems to resolve its, itself in verse four. Look at verse four. It said, uh, uh, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi died and she, left, she was left with her two sons. Okay, so there appears to be hope. Verse four, these, her sons, took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Arpa and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. The Naomi, two sons, chose to marry two Moabite women. In a sense, they're following in their father's footsteps. They lived, they went on to live in Moab about 10 years. The sons decided it was better to remain in Moab, an ungodly nation, rather than go back to Judah. Rather than to, to take their mother and go back to Judah. And this teaches us something about our lives, particularly men who are fathers, but all of us, our decisions, what we do and, and what we don't do, have an impact on our families. Nothing you do happens in a, a, a neutral state. It's going to have an impact, whether you know it or not. Elimelech didn't know that his decision to leave would lead to his wife being a widow and what we're going to read next, which is his, both of his sons die. He didn't know this. So our decisions have, they, they have an impact and, and we're to, to weigh the cost. We're to, to count the cost of, of what we are deciding to do. Uh, so that we can do what is best for our families. For Elimelech, he it was a it was a tragedy for Naomi because she is now left without a husband. And now we're introduced to another tragedy. It goes from 
bad to worse. There's another tragedy. Verse number five. And both Maholan and Chalon died. Naomi's husband has died. Now, both of her sons die. And we're, we're not told how or why, but what we are being introduced to is the fact that Naomi's predicament has gone from bad to worse to hopelessness. Because now she's not only left without a husband, but it says, so that the women was left without her two sons and her husband. She doesn't have a husband. Her two daughter-in-laws does not have husbands. They do not have a provider. They're in a pagan land. They're among people uh, uh, for Naomi. She's all alone. In a sense, as the 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 a part of the people of God, she's not with her people. And another thing that we see here, notice that the sons were married. They were in Moab for about 10 years. And they didn't have any children. So these women, Naomi and her two widowed daughter-in-laws, are left without a provider. And in the, in the middle of this tragic circumstance, no doubt Naomi, we'll see that Naomi has no idea why God has dealt with her so harshly or what possible good could come as a result of her situation. To Naomi, it seemed hopeless. But God is at work. God is at work. And what God has done up to this point, he has kept the weakest people in our text alive. And as the story unfolds, we will see how God providentially worked to meet her needs, Naomi's needs, and Ruth needs because the Arpa goes back to Moab. Not, and so, so, so not only would God give Naomi, because right now she's a widow. I mean, for Naomi, that is the end as far as descendants for her because her sons are dead. There's no, this is a big thing. And, and, and again, every Israelite would have read this and they would have known, man, this is, this is bad for Naomi. But we'll see, not only will God give her descendants, but the one, the ultimate descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come from her bloodline. <laughs> and so what, what we're introduced to here is dark times 
which will lead us into times of hope uh, and, and hope and, and joy for Naomi. And, and what we see here and what we're going to see in the book of Ruth, that everything serves God's purpose. The good times, the difficult times, even in death, God is working for your good and for his glory. Again, Naomi could not comprehend what God was. Put yourself in Naomi's shoes. They've gone, her, her, her husband, have, uh, she's gone with her husband away from God's people, and now she is all alone. And has God forgotten about her? No. No, this God, God, God is, is carrying out his, pur- his purpose. And, 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 and he is going to work for her good. And, and everything is going to be good for Naomi and for Ruth. And so what this is going to teach us is that we're to trust God, that God will faithfully care for us, that even when it gets tough, uh, even for uh, as in our passage, there was a famine. What did Matthew 6 tell us? That we're to trust in God and not be anxious. For what? For food? For clothing? What we're going to wear? Right? Uh, Jesus told us that we're, we're not to, to worry about such things. And this is what this letter, uh, this book is going to help us to see in a practical example that God can be trusted no matter the circumstances of our lives. No matter how difficult the circumstances may be, whether someone dies in our life, God is still carrying out his good purpose and he can be trusted. There is hope if we continue to trust in him. But if we turn away from him, if we leave him, we're leaving life. Young people, your parents bring you to church every Sunday. You come out. But if you get on your own and you leave and you go out and do what is right in your own eyes, there's always consequences. You can't anticipate. You can't anticipate what's going to come in your life. And the best place to be is among God's people and every Sunday in God's house. You can't anticipate what's going to come. But you can be in the, in the house of bread where you get spiritually fed. And even though For us, God is unseen. We don't know what he's doing. We must trust him. We must seek his will. We must seek his wisdom in prayer and whatever decision we're going to make. We must pray that the Lord will order our steps, that we would uh, walk in a way that would please him. And that starts with a desire to obey him. We can't pray for God to lead us if we don't desire to obey him. We must desire to obey him, pray that he will lead us, and God promises that he will guide us 
in the way that we should go. But we must be committed to him. We must be obedient to him and allow him to guide us. And so this is an introduction to the book of Ruth. Let us pray. Father, you speak in your word through the examples of others so that we may uh, find encouragement to trust you and that we may find uh, the resolve to not disobey your commands. And Father, this this book of of Ruth uh, introduces us to the reality that God is at work in the ordinary of our lives, in the everyday circumstances, and in the things that happen to us moment by moment, you are at work ordering and orchestrating your purpose in our lives, even when we don't see you, even when we don't know what's going on. And it is because of the reality that you are ordering your good purpose in our lives, that you are present with us wherever we are, this brings us to the reality that we can trust you. We can trust you. uh, We can trust you to obey you wherever we find ourselves, whether it's in a place like Naomi, like Job, like Joseph, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Daniel, wherever we find ourselves, in whatever difficulty we find ourselves, no matter if it's a big difficulty, whether it's a small difficulty, whether it's a a small difficulty like a a, a challenge, a homework assignment, or a test that we're about to take in school, No matter how difficult it is or how small the difficulty is, you are with us. You're there carrying out your good purpose in our lives. And this is the assurance that we have to walk with resolve, to walk with integrity, to look to you, to seek you, to seek your face in all that we do. And so we thank you, Father. We thank you for this book of Ruth. And may it be a blessing to our lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.